Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. This will be episode number 12 of the Bird Banner Podcast, and over the first 11 episodes, I've been getting wonderful feedback from listeners. I've been getting text messages and emails and phone calls, direct messages on Instagram and Facebook. That's all terrific, and keep it up. The one thing you can do as a listener that will help me, though, is to leave a review on the iTunes store. That will give me good feedback, let other listeners know what you're you're hearing, and will help the iTunes store recognize that this, this podcast is legit and be more likely to put it up in searches. Today, I have Michael Carmody as my guest. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to lead the life of a birding tour guide, to have your own company? to be birding for a living, and to do that for 30 years, to be the best bird guide in a whole area like Mexico? Well, stay tuned, folks. Michael Carmody is all of those things and a good podcast guest to boot. Welcome, Michael. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure having a chance to speak with you. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Uh, For listeners, this is Michael Carmody. Michael is going to be my tour guide, uh, or the tour leader at least, uh, on an upcoming trip to Morocco. Michael, tell us, how did you decide for Morocco? It seems like there are all all these million places in the world. What's special about Morocco? Well, um, let me put it in context, Ed. Uh, um, uh, I've, I've taken people in the last 30 years to 43 different countries bird watching so um uh, morocco this will be my third trip to morocco and each time i went to spain i've been to spain maybe six times in those 30 years with clients right each time i went to spain i i just was aware that these birds of southern spain were common in morocco and I just like the difference between the United States and Mexico. Once you remove the political barriers, why would I birdwatch in Arizona when I can see ten times as many birds in Mexico? Sure. And uh, uh, but if I limit myself by my mind's eye, then I'm going to go to southern Spain to try and see a red knob coot or a white uh, white uh, headed duck when I could. See those in in Morocco, plus twenty five other great birds that that don't get to Spain. So there were issues of safety, issues of transportation, issues of food, issues of lodging, uh, issues of local guides. Once once you tackle those issues and you realize that this is a good destination for primarily American clients, that. Um, that then it it bubbles up to the top, bubbles up to the surface, and that's what happened the first time I went to Morocco. It was so well received, just in terms of the cultural experience, but also the real fun of birding. That it was easy to offer it a second time, and now again easy to offer it a third time. Well, I'm sure excited. It looks like uh, I follow you on Instagram, and it looks like uh, you do take a little bit of time, at least, to smell the roses as you bird. I, I see a lot of pictures of food and scenery and non-specifically birding things. How do you how do you work it? How do you what's your trip like? Is it like a kind of balls to the wall birding? Don't even look sideways, or, or uh, the the other extreme is you know looking at a bird while you're sipping wine and wondering what it was. I mean, how how do you balance that all? Well, I I uh, I've done this now for almost thirty years uh, as a full time uh, job, 
what I had to learn early was two, two qualifiers. One, have a patch. So my patch is Mexico. There is no one in the world that knows Mexico better than me and can, can meet the needs of clients better than me. So I've always had a job by just focusing on Mexico. But, I, but in understanding and relating to the, the clients, the people that I take bird watching, I found that a number of them said, no, we like your style. We like the way you present a tour. So they might have gone with me nine times in Mexico and saw all the birds of Mexico, the 120 endemic birds you could see in Mexico. But at some point they said, take me somewhere else. And that began this search for the kind of tours that I could offer in another place. One is because I'm not an expert guide, at least the first time I would go to a place like Morocco, that uh, I would need to have a local guide who was an expert. So that requirement, no matter what what the style of the tour, that requirement was there. Then after you had the local guide, then you looked at the people that you were targeting to come on the trip. If it was a group of people that would say, I really want to spend a day at a winery and I want a bird watch, then I need to make sure that everyone on that trip is open to that activity. Sure. Because you can't have five people that want a bird watch from four in the morning to eight at night and five people that want to have a sit-down lunch in the middle of it. You have to qualify the people on the tour and design the tour with a specific focus and be honest with your with the people that are coming to the, on the tour what type of tour it is for instance at your tour in morocco we could do this tour in nine days instead we're doing it in 14 days now if we did it in nine days we would see most all of the key birds and we would be 35 birds less. But those 35 birds would be birds that maybe other people will have seen in other countries. Mm-hmm. So if you had a what I would call just focused hardcore birders that have been to Europe before, they only want, they, they want a list of 120 birds. We're going to see 200, but they want 120. I can narrow down that 120 birds and bird from daylight to dark in nine days and get 98% of those birds for them. But our trip, by adding several more days, it allows us to really see not 120 birds, but 200 species of birds. And birds like ferruginous duck that will be great for us wouldn't be necessarily a target bird for European clients. Sure. So our route is designed to have a comfortable breakfast, some kind of break at lunch, and a nice dinner, good lodging. But we will bird watch every morning and every afternoon and while we're there. We will target 200 species of birds, which is a very successful tour in Morocco. And um, so I look forward to it. I'm really proud of the route with things that we've done for ourselves that maybe another company wouldn't do is we have two nice days right in the Medina and two nice nights, excuse me, right in the Medina in, in the heart of Marrakesh. Again, Marrakesh is kind of a sexy city. It's the, the symbol of, of uh, Morocco for visitors and for us to go to Morocco and not include Marrakesh or end up on the outskirts of Marrakesh because it would be easier to birdwatch from the outskirts. 
skirts wouldn't be fair to clients that have traveled that great a distance and knowing that they're probably going to go to Morocco just one time in their life. So we'll bird watch out of Marrakesh. That's what I think makes legacy different than maybe another birding tour company that would say, what's the, what's the cheapest way to get the key birds? Well, it sure sounds good to me. I, uh, I'm all about the birds, but, uh, Gosh, I've never been to North Africa, and checking a few things out while I'm there would be first rate. First rate. That yeah. sounds great. So, Michael, you are the guru of Mexico birding. Uh, you've <laughs> been, I mean, I, I have no idea how many tours, but, uh, and it doesn't look like you're a big e-bird. Do you e-bird much? You know, I, I, I don't. And uh, Okay. And, I'll make sure uh, I download uh, some hotspots before I go then so that I can. Yeah. You know, I, the truth is I look at e-bird. Uh, when, when I travel, you know, sure. so for instance, um, oh, um, oh, I'm in Thailand and uh, I was in Thailand in the fall and, uh, and I don't know, um, Thailand, uh, let's see, I've seen 600 species of birds in Thailand. There's 900 in the country. So I haven't seen all of the birds of Thailand, but if I'm trying to say where, where could I see a green, pe- uh, green peacock, eBird might tell me where. Sure. And and so I enjoy it for that reason. So you're a poacher? My, my, well, I am <laughs> a poacher. But my real bias and 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 I just I don't I don't know how to say this in a delicate way, so I apologize to anybody I offend. When I look at the bird list in Mexico, from people that have not gone to Mexico before, they're on their first birding trip in Mexico and they put together an eBird list. I probably, if I look at 10 lists, I would say six are very good, two are okay with some egregious errors, and two of them I, we should just void altogether. Yeah, and, and, and I uh, think that's what the reviewers do. I mean, they, yeah. the, uh, I, I don't I, know how good the reviewers in Mexico are. But up here, if you put problem, something silly up here, it gets jumped right, on the, in and, a second. And I agree with that here because the reviewers... Are, are, uh, there's enough reviewers on a, lo- on a level that's local enough that they really know the areas. The problem with Mexico is it's a big country. There's only a few reviewers, and, and they're, not getting, they're not actually reviewing all the lists that are published. Sure. They're only reviewing when a flag goes up. Okay. But if, if you know, I'm in Guerrero State and, and uh, Bucard's Rand is on the state list, and... Uh, and I'm the reviewer, I won't know that somebody just recorded it on the, at Zihuataneo on the Pacific Coast. Uh, but, but that information will sit there until somebody like me goes through the list and says, this is wrong, and then sends a note to the reviewer sure. because there's no flag. They, they haven't, they haven't uh, refined their filters. To, I mean, here, you know, it's exactly. they're, pre- I, my, they're pretty my, well refined. My pet peeve is uh, Yucatan Poorwill and in, in, uh, the Yucatan the Yucatan Peninsula. If a person doesn't have Paraki on their checklist, <laughs> yeah. then they didn't see a Yucatan Poorwill. Yeah. it's uh, yeah. nine hundred ninety-nine to one ratio or something, probably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, not not only that, the Yucatan Poorwills, uh, you know, our Poorwills that we're familiar with up here in America, sit on a road, rest on a rock, yeah. uh, might be on a fence post, but but they they're not in a tree, and well, buries itself inside 
uh, kind of a tree line, a really dense tree line, it sallies out to feed and returns back to the tree line. So when anyone finds a uh, Yucatan poor whale on the ground, it better be dead. Because <laughs> that's the only way it would be there. Yeah. And okay. uh, but instead, they'll say things like, uh, "Oh, I was so lucky! I had a paraki and a Yucatan poor whale right together for comparison." Yeah. Well, what they really had was a paraki male and a female paraki. Yeah. And uh, but yeah. uh, so the problem is, you need a better no in Mexico. You need a better screening yeah. service. Yeah. Now, having said that, I am I I'm lazy in that I don't put more information on there. I should do that because it's, the wealth of information that I have in 30 years of data collection... It would be, it would be, be certainly valuable. Certainly valuable. Yeah, it should be in there. You know, this last trip we saw white-throated sparrow in Guerrero and uh, first record south of the transvolcanic belt. And wow. it'll just be lost to science if if that information isn't... Well, at least make an incidental report of it. <laughs> right, right. The, anyway, enough about eBird, Michael. We'll move on. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not against it. I think the smart thing to do would be to have someone from eBird call me and say, hey, you should be a reviewer in Mexico with the knowledge you have. You should be you should be on the team rather than be critical of the system. Sure. And, and they're right. I should be on the team. Yeah, I'm sure it, if you volunteered, they would jump all over it. But I think it's a big job, too. It, it, it's, not, it's not something you take lightly if you want to do it well. Anyway, where, where do you like to go in Mexico? I know you have a, a bunch of different tours, I, seven or eight, I think I saw on your website. If, if, you, right. if I was going to go on, say, one or two of your Mexico tours, where, would, where, where should I start? Well, uh, I would have to, quote, qualify you, because if you were, uh, you know, for instance, if I wanted to go on a really relaxed tour, and I wanted to have fun on a very relaxed tour, I would go to the Yucatan Peninsula, because there's, it's going to be a trip list of 200 species of birds, 25 regional endemics, half a dozen endemics, and... Uh, and it's a nice trip, easy transportation, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, you know, nice meals uh, around uh, either a, a lot of ruins, sure. my ruin sites, cute beaches, things like that. It's a, it's, so the people that go to the Yucatan are people that want to bird watch but want to have a nice vacation. They can also bring a friend, a partner, a companion, a spouse, they can, because that person will also have fun in that setting. Now, contrast that with this trip I just finished in Central Mexico, the Central Mexico uh, Endemics Run. We, we were together for 14 days. We saw 400 species of birds. We saw 75 birds that were either endemic species or forms. We birdwatched from, we, I'd meet on average at 5 in the morning, and we ate our dinner, always had a nice comfortable dinner, but we were done with dinner about I don't know, sometime around 7.30 to 8.30 at night. Now that, we did that in 14 straight days. We had, we got, I think, uh, five species of night jars, nine species of owls, um, we, we, a great number of endemics. The group that came were three from the UK, one from Finland, one from Germany, and two Americans. Those people waited a year and a half from the time they sent their money to the time they could go on the trip. 
And that's because they knew that trip could get them the birds they uh, a great number of birds. One of the men saw his 8,500th bird on a trip. Ouch. One of the women saw her 6,500th bird on a trip. So that trip, a person that I would say, do you want to go on this trip? They would really want to bird watch all the time. Pretty much a single focus trip. Right, and they want to have a level of coveting the quality and the rarity of the birds they would see. If they did that, then I'd say great. But if they really were just really happy with a good bird watching trip, then I would either direct them towards the Yucatan, or if they wanted more adventure than that, then the Baja Northwest trip. That's also a really great trip uh, for for a person that wants to bird watch wants to have a good experience bird watching, but is really kind of new to the Mexico experience. Right, right. Yeah, I've, uh, I, I took a trip to Guatemala with uh, Claudia Avantano. I don't know if you know her, but she's I, a... I met her, yeah. She is a very good uh, birder in Guatemala, and uh, she, I just hired her because I was going to visit my daughter, and she's... Uh, she's very good about uh, asking you what you want. Do you want to just, you know... Guiding you to the type of type of uh, outing you want, so I think that's that's very helpful to know, know what I you're think, buying. Yeah, I think it's the key to. Um, I call it apples and oranges. That if the trip's all apples or the trip's all oranges, we will have a really good experience. But if it's a, if it's the wrong mix of apples and oranges, then at the end of the trip, people will remember the tension rather than the 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 experience as positive. Sure. Now, now you've bird in Mexico thirty or so years. How did you get started in Mexico? How did how did you fall in love with Mexico birding? Well, I think I think it was partly utilitarian in that in that early on, uh, I took out advertisements. Legacy took out advertisements with um, in what was uh, birding magazine. It was a print magazine then, and uh, uh, and the front cover had. Uh, uh, inside cover had Victor Emanuel, and the back cover had field guides. And then somewhere in there, a half page was Legacy Tours. And they would all contact me and say, send me your brochure. Again, I was running 10 trips a year. Those companies were running 50 trips a year. Sure. They could put together a brochure. I couldn't. Also, I was a one-person company that they really didn't know. And so when someone would contact me, they'd say, gee, do I want to send some money to a person I really don't know in Washington State? And, and uh, so uh, kind of a light bulb went off within the second year of doing that. I need a patch. I need a place where people will call me. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so I, st- I went down and found the short-crested coquette in Guerrero. And there were probably at that time two or three bird watchers that had ever seen it. There were a couple of scientists that had collected it in 1989, and then a couple of bird watchers that went down in the early 90s. So in 1993, I went down, spent a week in that uh, Sierra Madre de Guerrero to find it. Found it on the fourth day. In 1994, I brought my first five clients to see it. Mm-hmm. I have taken clients there every year, at least one group, and more often two. I've already been there twice this year. Wow. Uh, I'll be there again in July. Um, and uh, at least, so. So, so, so that, that's a hook. Amount. You've got a hook. Yeah. You can get people to go on one trip and they say, oh, that Michael Carmody, he's a good guy to lead a trip. I'll go on another one. So. 
Exactly. And I'll tell my friends. I'll tell my friends. So so what happens is this bird, this single bird that had, at that time, everybody's number was they were all in search of Mm 8,000. And so they were all 7,800, 7,900. But when they saw this coquette and they looked at each other and high-fived each other and said, we've seen a bird that no other bird watchers have seen, then they were really excited and they filled that trip for the next year. And those people filled the trip for next year. And that's how the patch developed. The Mm -hmm. routes that are there were not set up in competition with a field guides or a Victor Emanuel or any of the other companies. The routes were set up in order to get all of the endemics of that part of Mexico that can only be seen in that part of Mexico. Right. So those those nine routes are designed not because they're, no, are designed specifically so that at the end of that period of time, 120 species of birds that can only be seen in Mexico will be seen by people. That's and quite right. often the routes will combine one or two areas, but the, but by seeing the routes on a map, people can clearly see that Mexico is a huge country and that the, and that to cover one area is going to take 10 days. If you want to cover two areas, it's 20 days, that kind of a thing. And yeah. so, 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 uh, you, you've ha- obviously had a tremendous amount of experience in Mexico. Mex- Mexico, over the years, has been more or less uh, friendly or, you know, more or less, uh, you know, can be a little scary in some places, uh, at least to, to people who don't know what they're doing. Uh, have you had pretty much universally good experiences, or have you had any kind of uh, epi- time, oh. times that were a little scary for you? Yeah. No, I would say 99% of, of my experience in Mexico have been good. I had, a, a, oh, maybe 15 years ago, just outside of Mexico City, uh, a group was robbed of our binoculars oh. by uh, by a drug addict, not by cartels, not by bad people that are, you know, what we would think of. They, they weren't interested. The man was interested. He had a rusty old pistol, and, and, uh, and he... Uh, he, what he wanted was money to sell for drugs. Sure. I got a, you know, what we did is we uh, we collected the, um, I went down to the uh, Cuernavaca where, where uh, just by jurisdiction, we filed a police report. By finally made a copy of those police reports to everyone. And, um, um, and uh, then they took them home to their insurance. Their insurance reimbursed them. And uh, not only that, uh, Swarovski, through a, through a friend uh, of Legacy Tours, uh, Swarovski gave everybody a 5% discount on cost for the binoculars. Very nice. So all of us got brand new binoculars. Got new optics, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that the insurance paid for for less than cost. And, uh, uh, but, but it was still not a good experience. Sure. Uh, two of the people lost their passports. I stayed back with them, went to that, took them to the embassy, got them passed legacy, paid for the new uh, passports at the airport, have, went to the airport, got them on their tickets, uh, and they were off the next day. Yeah. So still had to, had to not, kind of mess your trip up a little, but still stuff oh, happens. Yeah. And... yeah, but we're talking out of, you know, more than 250 trips uh, in Mexico in all parts of Mexico to to have that. I don't think I could get away with that many trips in a variety of places in this country. Yeah, you're, you're just as likely thing. to get your get stuff stolen right. out of your trunk in in you know Washington or Arizona or anywhere. Exactly. You know. I don't want to downplay that Mexico, especially near the border, is somewhat of the Wild West. There is a lot of um, of um, 
there, there's just a lot of tension near the border. And so where 15 years ago I was comfortable birding near the border, now pretty much the, the Tijuana, the El Paso, the Matamoros, I just don't, um, I, I don't have any need uh, yeah. to go there. So I just fly over it to Monterey, to Cabo San Lucas, to Mazatlan, to, you know, uh, uh, Villahermosa, where, wherever we start our trip. Mm-hmm. And then I ask every single trip, as I did last week, tell me when on this trip you were concerned for your safety. We were in Guerrero State, probably since I've been taking people to Mexico, it's been on the do not travel list of the U.S. government. Right. And so we're talking more than 50 trips in that just in, that have come through that state in that period of time with never a problem in Guerrero. And, uh, and again, I asked these people at the end of the trip, tell me when you were concerned for your, oh, we didn't even think about it, did we? Of course they didn't, but it's because they've traveled with a guide who understands the country, who understands the people, who has a good relationship with those people, who meets, uh, who has a, a driver guide that's with us and stays with the vehicle, all of the stuff that Just is taking care smart. of the details, it's taking good. care of the details yeah. and, and being, being alert and that's attentive. Right. Sure. Well, that's really also, cool. The countryside in Mexico is 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 ninety nine percent of the people in the countryside of Mexico are tremendous people. Uh, I remember one time leaving my scope on the side of the road and coming back about two and a half hours later, and it was still there. I don't know how many vehicles drove by that dirt road, but every single person knew the same thing: it wasn't theirs. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so they just left it. And when I came by, it was there. And so uh, That's I, cool. I'm not advocating leaving yeah. your stuff. I'll I'm try to remember to carry mine with me this lot. trip. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just honestly um, in in admiration of Mexican people who have a very difficult life compared to our own, who who will treat us with with great respect and deference. That's great. I'm going to go back to our Morocco trip just a little bit, Michael. Uh, we're, we're going to be uh, we're going to be going to Rabat. I think that's going to be pretty much shore birding and coastal birding. Is that my impression? That's correct. So the reason why we go north is um, from so we meet in Casablanca, and Casablanca overall is not. Um, uh, I would I would say is not a stunning city. Um, and and possibly it's just I don't know it well enough, but it does have the international airport. It's a great place to, uh, for meeting. Uh, but if we just went south, uh, we would immediately get to the desert, oh. and the and the and a lot of the coastal water areas are north of of Casablanca. Okay, and so. Uh, so we would build our shorebird list. We build a lot of our our coastal waterbirds list. Marsh, we marsh would also pipers, get yeah. our our ducks there, mm-hmm. and uh, and also because of migration, the coastline narrows up there, and uh, and so we're going to end up finding corsairs and and. Um, uh, stone curlews and or thick knees and and uh, you know birds that are are just going to be they're they're on their way north and it's just easier to pick them up in migration in these um, in these kind of little narrow corridors. Or migrant traps sort of areas, right. sure. Exactly, Fun- funnels yeah, if yeah. not Great a trap. spotted yeah. cuckoo and uh, you know common cuckoo and and so we'll build we'll build a list of birds that 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 for the most part people could see 
in in uh, in a further north later in the season. There are a few specialty birds. There's a, uh, a spur-winged fa- uh, uh, Franklin there. There's a, um, a grass owl. There's a couple of specialty birds that we will target while we're there. But overall, what we're doing is just enjoying birding and building a big list early. That's cool. We're also going to get to some pretty good elevation. I think I think one or two of the stops were f- fairly high. Right. Right. South of, uh, from there, we come back to, uh, we, we go south towards Marrakesh. And again, uh, I, it's a little inconvenient to get into the Medina, but what happens is when you're there, that's going to be a night that you're going to want to run around. You want to be able to say that you went to the markets, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so, so it won't happen if we don't make it happen because you know if we stayed on the outside of town nobody's going to take a taxi into it we sure. and so we, so we made that choice but then the next well, but then the next day we go out up to uh, the atlas mountains and the high atlas mountains they're divided into further north is what they call the low atlas and but this range south of marrakesh is the high atlas and and it's uh, it's 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 kind of like going up to mount rainier uh-huh. with without the forest underneath it okay. so it's it's really dry and canyons have a lot of riparian areas but but the hills aren't forested but you get to a certain point you know you're above tree line and that's that's where this crimson wing finch is that's where the horn the their horned lark is that's where um um uh, the alpine chuff is yellow-billed chuff. There's uh, the dipper. There's there's a number of birds that if we're going to see them in Morocco, we're only going to see them there. And it's kind of a fun day. Tristram's warbler, which is a kind of a, a really local warbler. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, those birds are kind of waiting for us up there. And once we get up there, even though their numbers, it's kind of like going to Mount Rainier. Even right. though their numbers are not great. You know, there's not thousands of them. There's not even hundreds. But what we'll do is just be moving along and catching these different groups of birds. Sure. And uh, it's a it's a really fun day. Sounds and, like it. Uh, yeah, pretty day. And uh, and then what, then we come back to Marrakesh and we have the Medina that night again. So mm-hmm. one of those two nights, people will explore the day either the day we arrive or the day we come back from the the mountains. Right. Everything's close, and so we're talking. You leave early in the morning, get back late in the afternoon, and you've had, you know, really eight eight hours of bird watching in between that. That sounds terrific. And then we just make sort of a circle around the rest of the country. What are some of the highlights you think we'll we'll really enjoy on the trip? Uh, I uh, the next the next section we get to is Agadir, which is on the coast, which is really like um, ocean shores. If ocean shores had been built up into tourist hotels. Uh-huh. Uh, so you're it looks the like coast. there's a big harbor there. It kind of does yeah. look like Grace Harbor on the map. <laughs> it, it probably did the best for me for my um, appreciation of uh, you know what, so much of what we get about the uh, the, the Islamic culture as a whole is what you see on television and sure. what, what comes to us from the news from from parts of the world that are, have more tension. You what it just. I just I have these happy memories of watching these families. Everybody's Muslim. Everybody's, um, uh, uh, you know. But they but you look at them and they're. I mean, I just see myself in them. Here's this dad with his kids and there's the wife and they're walking down the street and they're holding hands and the kids are giggling and eating ice cream and and it just uh, it feels normal, like normal. You're, yeah. everybody's on vacation there 
And it's kind of, you know, that's the town itself. Mm-hmm. But there's two really good marshes uh, nearby. There's also a, a, probably our best sea watch spot down there. Okay. And if we get out in the night, it's a good spot for redneck night jar. It's, it's just kind of um, a good bird watching spot. Uh, but but uh, I I like it because it feels I mean it, it 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 allowed me to see all the people around me in this whole nation as folks just like me in terms of their hopes and dreams their desires for their families and uh, I, I hope you have that same experience Ed. I'm looking forward to it I'm looking forward to it any other highlights you want to talk about. Uh... Michael, uh, well, uh, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, uh, a, a place that I don't think we could, we could just ignore is, uh, we, we bird watch our way there. There's two days to get there, so it's quite a, it's quite a drive. But again, they're birding drive, they're mm-hmm. birding days, um, um, as as we move from the coast to the true desert. But it, as we move towards the Libyan, the east side of the of the country, of the southeast side of the country, we get to a town called Merzuga, and it's kind of uh, whatever reason they designated that as the tour as the desert playground uh, of Mor- Morocco. Okay. So there's now even though we'll be at a Riyadh that has you know walls and a building and swimming pools and that kind of stuff, ours is a a nicer complex. But we could have just as well done well, that would would have been and they would have been fun, but it would have been a little more difficult for our circumstances our our activities would have been uh tent camps out in the desert where they just set up these tent camps right in the middle of the sand dune area and uh, I think that would be fun too, but though we'll see those sand dunes we're on four we rented four wheel drive vehicles to allow us to go through that area because okay. that's where a lot of our bird watching is sure but this whole area is what you would think of when you think of the movie Lawrence of Arabia, uh-huh. when you think of desert sand dunes, Fun. you know, dry areas for miles, and, and then these big red dunes of sand that are hundreds of feet high, and, you know, and, and that's all waiting for us in this Merzuga area. It's the one area that we spend the most time in terms of nights. We're there for three nights. Many places were for two nights, but we're there for three nights, not, not just because we've earned it. It took us a while to get there. <laughs> And then, uh, and then it's so not our lived experience that it gives us a chance to, to kind of, uh, you know, embrace it a little more. Well, I'm really kind of excited fun. about that. I I didn't quite envision that. That's cool. Yeah, it really is fun. It's kind of, you know, you pull into an away, oasis, just like you would think of, you know, here's those palm trees, a little bit of water, and it's right in the middle of a narrow little canyon with all these dry rocks around it, and, and boom, that's where the eagle owl is, things like that. Yeah. So it's it's kind of fun. Sounds great. Sounds great. I'm really excited. Really excited. We do a little cheating there, that uh, that, uh, uh, but, it, but it works. Uh, for instance, uh, Mohammed Burgash is our local guide. I've uh-huh. worked with him before. He's a great guy, and uh, but he'll make phone calls to to um, uh, it usually is to a driver of a van who ni- who knows who has the Bedouins that are out there walking their sh- their sheep and goats, primarily mm-hmm. goats there, walking their goats. Um, uh, uh, w- have cell phones. And mm-hmm. so what they'll do is when they find a an Egyptian night ha- night jar, and it's just tucked under this little scrub in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just sitting there in the shade of it. And when they find one, then they call the driver, and then the driver then lets Muhammad. 
go and chase that bird that day. And, uh, and so, so instead of, uh, instead of like, Oh, are we going to see this? I hope, I hope it's almost like, I don't want to say it's guaranteed because that's not, that that's almost a, yeah. a jinx word, but, uh, but it's, a, it's kind of fun to get a phone call saying, okay, let's go get the night jar now. <laughs> get a lot of, a lot of eyes out there. It really helps. Yeah, it really does. It really Good. does. Good. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate you. I know you've had a super busy week, just back from Mexico, almost ready to go to Morocco. I'm sure you had family and business and all sorts of other stuff to take care of this week. So taking time to talk to me has been really a treat. And it helped me uh, think a little bit about uh, about this trip. I'm pretty excited. Uh, yeah. How can people reach out to you? I know you have a website. It's uh, legacy-tours.com, I think. And I'll put up a link to that in the podcast notes. Are there other places people can find you online or otherwise? Um, um, uh, if they have an Instagram account, um, uh, I, I found Instagram has been a way for me to post pictures quickly, and that's Legacy Birding Worldwide. Okay. Uh, Legacy Tours Birding Worldwide. Okay. I'll put, I'll put and, that down uh, the, in the podcast notes too. Thank you. Yeah, that, and if they go to the web page, in the upper right-hand corner is the Instagram uh, image. They could just Perfect. click on that, and, and they access it that way, too. That, that's, that's one way. Also, um, on the web page, there's ways to communicate to me. I, I always, um, when a person says, I'm interested in this, then we have this same conversation that you and I have had on the phone in terms mm-hmm. of tell me what it is you want your hopes are. If they're very specific bird watchers, then I ask them to even send me a bird list of what they sure. hope to see. And then that allows me to qualify, put them in the right direction. And uh, and that happens all the time. This last uh, uh, fall, I got a, a fellow that's probably one of the top five in the world, more than 9,000 species of birds. Wow. And he says, Mexico's my biggest hole. How do I get there? And, uh, and again, I, I, it's kind of the dance between, I think you'd do just as well if you come on this trip versus, um, in any cases, a person like that, they just want to get their birds and they want to just focus on that. Sure. That's much harder for me to, to create a, a time when I'm just with one or two clients because sure. it requires, I'm re- uh, my calendar is generally full, and yeah. so it requires finding spaces that match their birds. Because sure. I don't want to take them in September when I could find those in in ten days when I can find those birds for them in in four days in the spring. Sure. Yeah, so. so it's a matter of making time and meeting people's needs. I'll right. I'll, I'll do a shout out for you. I mean, I'm I'm vegan and try, I'm going to try to eat plant based on this trip and. And you've been very helpful. Looks like you reached out to a, a friend who's more in touch with that and sent me some lists of things to order at restaurants and, and uh, gave me some suggestions. So I know you t- take good care of people with special needs. <laughs> so Yeah, uh, I, th- I think it's important. I, I think when a person asks me, when they entrust me with two weeks of their vacation time, and also their uh, their income that that my responsibility is to is to not just show them the birds but to kind of embrace that whole two week period how do we make this the best experience possible and the truth is i like doing it so it makes me happy as well well i'm glad it's making me happy too michael thanks so much for being my guest today i appreciate it and i will see you in casablanca in very few days okay okay Uh, It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Thanks now. So that's a wrap on the Bird Banter Podcast, episode number 12 with Michael Carmody. I'm in Morocco. 
If I can find time, and I can find energy, and I can find Wi-Fi, there'll be episodes of the Bird Banner podcast created in Morocco and put up while I'm there. Stay tuned. Until then, good birding. Good day.